Empire. Welcome to In the Clubhouse, a podcast about the Washington Nationals and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Richard. In this special episode, I sit down with the Washington Nationals beat reporter for the Washington Post, Jesse Dougherty, and NBC Sports Washington Nationals correspondent, Matt Warwick, and we talk all about spring trading. So let's go into the clubhouse. Hey guys, thanks Jesse and Matt for joining us today in the clubhouse. Thanks for having us, man. Good yeah, this is great. Thank you for having us. Awesome. So let's get right down to it. Uh, Jesse, since um, this is the first time on your, on the podcast, I kind of wanted to get your overall thoughts on the Washington Nationals uh, offseason moves in general. Yeah, uh, you know, they, I think they committed right around 30 $5 million to free agents. And I believe everyone was on a one year deal. Now I'm saying that, okay, no, it's a little bit less than that because Josh Bell has another year team control, but mostly they did a lot of short term deals with people, right? So they trade for Josh Bell, who's kind of a short term investment. And, and then from there, they get a lot of veterans um, on one year commitments, which there's a sort of saying in baseball, which you can agree with or not, that there's no such thing as a bad, bad one year deal. So the Nationals, Offseason, by and large, was really low risk. Uh, but the big question is, did they add enough to maximize what I believe is a really tight window here with this core being the last season where you're guaranteed to have Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, and Patrick Corbin in your rotation? Um, you know, the, the a year in which Daniel Hudson, Will Harris are not older than they are now, which is already pretty old in baseball years, and then also uh, team-controlled, uh, with Juan Soto and Trey Turner is a really advantageous position financially and gives you a chance to build a lineup. And we're going to see soon if they did enough to maximize that. The Nationals will say we're never in windows. We don't deal We don't deal that way. Uh, I would argue that there always is some sort of window based on your sort of future and, and current current from, you know, construction. So I think it was a positive offseason in the sense that they built a lot more than other teams and they patched a lot of holes. Uh, but there are a lot of ways you can parse it to say, you know, could they have moved that money elsewhere to maybe land a bigger name and not fill all the holes externally and maybe trust the guys you actually have already on the roster? I'm not sure. That's that's kind of a thing we'll be able to look back on in, you know, August and September and see what the returns are. But I think there are a few ways to look at it. Awesome. Great. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so let's get right down to talking about uh, spring training. Um, and, you know, as I said before, just feel free to kind of, you know, ask each other questions. I want to make sure this is a great um, conversation. I promise I won't get insulted if I'm just sitting here listening. Um, so, Jesse, since you're down in uh, West Palm Beach, can you give us some of the vibes on what it feels like uh, for this spring training? Um, you know, are you going out at night or you're just like going right back to your room and watching a lot of Netflix? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a lot of time in the hotel room. Um and inside, I guess we're all used to that in uh, 2020, 2021. But in terms of like the camp, like I, I think any player on the Nats will tell you that since Dave Martinez has been here, it's really relaxed vibe. You know, it's not a lot of, and I've never ever covered other camps. So I don't know if there is sort of like a, 
more militant sort of atmosphere other places. This That's not what happens on the national side in West Palm Beach. Uh, it never has been um, under Davey. So I think it's this year's sort of status quo. Where, where I'm standing down here when I'm watching practice is a pretty narrow view. So I can see a lot of pitcher stretching. I can see a lot. I can see the bullpens. I can see pitchers and catchers mostly. I can't give you much sort of uh, – first-hand insight into the position players just not where I am stationed we're kind of we're confined to a specific area to to uh, create a, I guess a, a very safe social distance I would say um, a lot more than the six feet that's required um, but uh, it, it just seems normal to me M- the music's loud there's a lot of laughing um, it's so cliche to say a lot of smiling but really I mean this this camp really is generally relaxed and uh, I think it's 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 just more of that right now, and uh, it's it's really what I've grown used to in the three years I've been coming down here to cover it. What's the press scene like down there, Jesse? Is there a decent amount of reporters that are able to make it out, or would you say for the most part most people are on Zoom? No, it's mostly Zoom. You know, it's uh, I'm the only one down there from the local group, and then uh, there's been a bit um, of you know photographers and videographers from like local news stations and i know matt you've probably been following on the uh live streams in some ways you see things that i don't get to because they um you know they they they're filming a field that the pr team can access but the reporters can't just based on the rules so um like i'm just interested to see you know what what you're seeing on those streams that i I, i'm not even accessing i know some people were saying they maybe victor robles looks slimmer i don't know um you pick up anything on those yeah i mean I've only caught them just on and off a little bit over the past week, but yeah, I would say angle isn't bad. Um, you definitely can get a, a little bit of a closer look at the players from what I saw of your video of Max Scherzer pitching uh, the other day. That was definitely uh, looked like a challenge just looking through like two sets of fences just to see <laughs> right. you know, how he was coming off his ankle. I'm sure that was testing fun, me but... for sure. I'm like climbing trees out here, <laughs> whatever you can do, you know? Um, but yeah, it's uh, I, I didn't get to catch Robles, but reports seem to say that yeah he looks slimmer i'm interested to see you know how he comes out this year it's it's definitely interesting to see a player's weight fluctuating back and forth such a young age uh going up and down it definitely seemed like uh, that was like a priority for him last offseason was adding on to the weight to get some more power you know at the plate but obviously he's taken a step in the other direction so it's kind of kind of interesting to see that develop cool um Matt, I'm just kind of wondering what your what have your thoughts on uh, all these like one year uh, contracts? Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Jesse mentions that the Nationals don't want to hear about windows. It's kind of hard not to talk about windows when all the guys you're signing are one year deals. You know, it's it seems like they are maximizing the window that they're in at least in the short term. So, um, you know, like like we said, you know, low risk definitely. Uh, leaves them with a lot of options for for down the line. So as far as the roster stacks up now, you know I think the most of the win projections are pegging the Nationals third, uh, which seems to be you know pretty accurate at this point. I think um, Baseball Prospectus had them second um, in their projections and had the Braves fourth, which I thought was really interesting. Um, I definitely don't think the Braves are the fourth best team in the division, but yeah, I would say it's it's been. It's been interesting. Davey, I mean, uh, Rizzo can never be faulted for, you know, standing pat during the winter. He definitely makes, at least in a high volume sort of way, a lot of moves. Um, and he attacked a lot of different holes. I thought that Brad Hand was a great signing. Obviously, you know, he gets cut loose for, for $10 million and they only sign him for ten point five, So uh, they didn't have to spend too much more money there than he was already going to be owed. Plus, they didn't have to give up any prospects in, in order to acquire him. So that uh, was a pretty great move by them. Um, and obviously, the interest there. It's going to be interesting, though, I think. With Schwarber and Bell, 
you know, the Nationals as a whole are kind of hoping that 2020 was just a bit of a wash uh, and are looking for a big chunk of their roster, players who were there last year and players who they brought in. Uh, 2020 was the anomaly. They're looking at 2019, 2018 and saying that's more indicative of what this player is going to do this year. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if the Nationals prove right in that way, because, you know, some players, you know, like Trevor Bauer, obviously getting rewarded for a very big 2020. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, teams that went in on players who had good 2020 seasons, how they fare versus teams that, you know, are kind of writing it off and, and looking at past performances is more indicative. Um, Jesse, what are your thoughts on um, a lot of the signings? Which one did you were like really excited to see? Which one have you kind of like warmed up to be like, okay, this makes a lot more sense now looking back at the off season, um, just kind of that perspective. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that's right. I thought the Brad Hand signing was was a really good one. And I think what we often see with the Nationals is they're they're remaking their bullpen in July uh, or you know or August, wherever it may be, and uh, that's a precarious situation because you're trusting there's going to be trade partners at that point of the season that there's guys that can improve your bullpen. We saw it in 2019; they go one for three on the three guys they got, and that was good enough. But you know, if if that breaks another way and Hudson isn't quite good, that actually could have been a really, you know, could have been detrimental return to go one for three on the guys you acquire and not have them actually be what you needed. So um, I think that's good and also should allow them, they usually leave like a $10 million push in in their payroll to make in-season moves. And this year, if they are in contention, if they are in that second, third place range, but feel feel a way to get through, they actually can focus on getting bats at the trade deadline. That sounds like a crazy thing in Washington, right? Like you're never used to them actually making offensive moves in July, but this year they've set themselves up pretty well to do that. So, and, and with the Jeremy Jeffers signing this week as well, I mean, that just, it really deepens their pool of late inning options in a way we, ha- we haven't seen going into a season. So I think the hand signing was really interesting because not only, um, like Matt said, was it really good value after he gets, you know, outright released at 10 for because of $10 million, but also it comes in a really spe- important time in the offseason where the Nats knew they didn't get, like if the Nats get Michael Brantley instead of Kyle Schwarber, they probably don't get Brad Hand. If they get, uh, let's say, you know, JT Ramuto, I don't even want to say the words. If they get him instead of three other people, they don't get Brad Hand. Like the money just worked out. And the fact that no other team picked him up, like the Mets were in the mix, allowed them to play out their whole offseason, see a $10 million path toward a better reliever and get whoever one agreed was best reliever, best best lefty reliever on the market, sure, and maybe the best reliever on the market overall. So I thought just timing of it was perfect. I thought the fit was really good, obviously, for what they needed after Doolittle left. And I think it could have a really good effect on guys like Hudson and Harris, bumping them into maybe roles that suit them better at this point in their careers as well. Um, and this question uh, for both of you guys, we'll go Matt first and then Jesse. Uh, Matt, who would you have liked the Nationals to sign this year that they didn't sign during the offseason? Yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting question. They've definitely gone a lot of different directions than I was kind of expecting. Uh, you know, you felt like Carlos Santana might have been a good fit for the Nationals. But then once I think, you know, they went and gosh, Josh Bell, uh, you know, higher risk, uh, more reward there for sure uh, with Bell over Carlos Santana. But, um, you know, I think he might have been a, a steadier vet- veteran presence. But the Nationals seemed like they wanted to go in a younger direction. So I think that made a lot of sense. Uh, I did think uh, a platoon option in, in the corner outfield to play across Soto uh, was something that was worth looking into, kind of maybe like Jock. Peterson, Hunter Renfro types uh, to split that that side over there and give them a bunch of power uh, while also offering them, you know, that platoon advantage. You know, the Nationals definitely could have used another right-handed bat at some point this offseason. 
uh, just to kind of balance out all the lefties that they have at the top of the order. You know, obviously Josh Bell's a switch hitter and, and that helps things out. But, uh, you know, if they had gotten a platoon option instead of just the left-handed hitting Schwarber, uh, that, that could have at least given them an advantage, you know, in that way. Uh, Jesse, what do you, th- what's your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, my, again, this is like such a rabbit hole and I, I, I mm-hmm. feel like I don't even really want to go there, but I, <laughs> I think seeing what real Muto got, and it's insane. Like I, I, I feel a need to even say like a lot of people are out of work because of the pandemic. So anyone getting $24 million is a lot of money in, in the terms of what he provides to you as the best catcher in baseball, unquestionably offensively and defensively. I actually thought it was a pretty good bargain for the Phillies. I mean, it feels crazy saying that, but if you actually go after him at the nationals, you're rethinking your entire offseason now. Cause you, you're probably are still spending around $34 million. Their payroll has rested around 200 million in the last couple of years. So you're now like, you can kind of play like a mix and match game and it's kind of like, it's a total crapshoot, but like you can say like if the $24 million of salaries they brought on to match JJ Ramuto, like, would you rather have Real Muto or those five guys? It might be like Josh Bell, Schwarber, and John Lester. You put them all together, that's the price. I'm not saying I have a strong opinion on that, but I am saying that he's a generational catcher and a player in a position that you do not have anyone for after this season. And you didn't get James McCann. You weren't even trying to get James McCann because you were fine with what you had. I think that's a spot the Nationals could have addressed. And Rizzo, obviously, has long really loved J.T. Ramuto. And I I think they might regret a couple years from now band-aiding, band-aiding, new verb, band-aiding a bunch of holes and not chasing after the guy who was right there and available. Because because uh, a player like that hitting for agency is incredibly rare. Like, teams lock him up, right? Like, no one will have a chance at Fernando Tatis Jr. now. No one should have had a chance at J.J. Romuto if the Phillies or the Marlins were smart enough to just lock him up ahead of time. So the fact that he was there for the taking and it just cost money, that's like a kind of a baseball thing too. Like it was just money because these owners are billionaires. Like I think they should have made a better play at him. But that's that, that requires a lot of rethinking of what they went out and did this offseason. So kind of bringing it back to spring training, um, Jesse, um, you reported a quote from Trey Turner uh, recently. I think it was yesterday. Um, saying that he wants to be a Washington national for the rest of his career and spend it here in D.C. Um, so I have two parts to a question. Um, first is, uh, and Matt, you're, you're, I would like to hear your thoughts also. Um, do you think that that could happen? And uh, my second part is, uh, what what did learners need to do to make it happen? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it certainly can. I also think it's really important to note that, like, no player in their right mind would say, like, I don't want to be a national for life, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, there's two sides of that coin. Like, the quote is – but the quote's significant because he doesn't have to say it that emphatically. So I think you're right to bring it up. He's also said this a lot over the last couple of years whenever he's been asked. He's been asked by a bunch of outlets, and, and he's kind of repeated the same line that the grass isn't always greener. He loves his time in Washington, um, and I believe him. He also is very conscious of his worth, um, his, his growing worth, and I think it's going to take a lot. It's not – He's going to be a bit older than a guy like Tatis. It's not going to take like a 13-year commitment. Because then Trey Turner would be 43 or 44 when he, you know, or, that's bad math. But he'll be really old by the time that contract ends. Uh, but I do think that it's going to take a very serious financial commitment that the Nationals have not made to a position player since they've been competitive. They signed Ryan Zimmerman to a, to a extension that was big at the time. They have not done that with Anthony Rendon or Bryce Harper in the time since. And it'd be interesting to see if they if he is the first of this. He's sort of homegrown, and I say homegrown with air quotes because 
he technically was acquired in the trade when he was very young. But if he's that first kind of guy that came up through the system and came up with the Nationals that they really commit big time to. And then obviously wants wants Soto's after that. But I think Trey Turner's a bit more you know relevant right now because he's only two years out of free agency. So what do you think it would take to make it happen if you were a guest, if you were I mean, a manager? Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say numbers because in the same way that we're talking about like guys like Josh Bell and Kyle Schrober bouncing back from last season being bad, I think Trey Turner has to now prove that last season was legit. Like he's extremely talented and like we know that, but is he last year's talent level? I don't know. So mm-hmm. is there a you know, I'm not an agent or a GM. Like, should Trey Turner's cash out now in his season last year? I don't know if even a team would do that because it's only 60 games. I think everyone probably wants to see what his worth settles at after 2021 when he does this for a full season. But having progressed to this point, I mean, what I can say is if he's the same, it's going to take a whole lot. But I don't know if he's going to be that same guy this year. I don't know. If you had to bet your life, yes, uh, he stays. No, he doesn't stay. What do you? High stakes. I'm betting on that. <laughs> betting on Matt's answer to the question. (laughs) I'll throw it to Matt. Matt, what do you like? What are your thoughts on Trey Turner extension and just, you know, his worth and him staying in DC? Yeah. You know, I think if the nationals had wanted to lock up Turner for cheap, they would have done it uh, a couple of years ago. um, You know, when he had, you know, some down years, maybe by injury or just, you know, not really putting it all together of the course of a full 162 games. But, you know, we've only seen Turner play at, you know, I'm going to call it Ricky Henderson levels because that's what it was last year. We've only seen him play at that level twice in his career, and it was last year in a 60-game season in his rookie year when he only played half a season. So you, you, Jesse's right. You know, the tools are there. He, he's absolutely, you know, has the look of one of the best shortstops in the game, which means a lot in this day and age with how many amazing shortstops we have and especially how many are going to be hitting free agency in the next few years. Um, but, you know, is he the, the player that he was last year? Probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, but, you know, the Nationals now have an opportunity to see Turner do that over the course of a full season where it's just, you know, not just him and Juan Soto, but, you know, him and Soto are the two team players that the Nationals feel like they can wholly rely on uh, going into this year. Davies talked about wanting to make them one, two in the batting order. So, you know, with the two of them at the top of the order, Soto's going to set the bar high. And it's just kind of how close to Soto is Turner going to perform because that's really going to tell, you know, how the rest of the lineup kind of can follow after that, uh, what the base is, because there's definitely more pressure on Turner and Soto to be the guys than, you know, if we were talking two years ago, we were talking about Anthony Rendon or Bryce Harper or whoever. So you think he stays? Yeah. I mean, it's tough to say. I, if I had to guess, um, I would say yes. I think the Nationals, you know, are capable of, of, you know, putting that money out there. And, you know, like like we saw this this offseason, they aren't committing any deals past you know, two years from now. Uh, after 2022, the only money that the Nationals have committed to players that will be on their roster on guaranteed deals are Strasburg and Corbin. So they definitely have some financial flexibility down the line. Now, Scherzer is going to be due deferred money. So that I think is important to note while he won't be necessarily on the payroll. Well, you know, we'll see if he gets an extension, but as of right now, won't necessarily be on the payroll, still getting paid. Uh, and, you know, some of these deferred contracts are going to start, you know, reaping a little bit for the players. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the nationals, uh, you know, wait until the last possible minute, but I do think that there could be an extension in the works, but I, I you know, I just feel like now is the time. I know that the Turner is coming off of a 
really big year and his value is maybe a little more inflated than it was before, but his value is going to go up regardless once these other shortstops start to hit the market uh, and really start cashing in, you know, Correa and Lindor and Trevor Story, you know, they're really going to set the market for Turner, you know, and if he's going to, his agent's going to argue that, you know, he's a top five shortstop in the game, that he should be in the ballpark of that money. You know, it's kind of like what we saw with Anthony Rendon, uh, Nolan Arenado just a couple of years ago, we were talking about, uh, locking up Rendon, what that might cost. And, you know, there was a report out of The Athletic that said that they were searching for something around Jose Altuve's deal, which is a $160 million extension. Literally a month later, we have Nolan Arenado signed for $260 million, And all of a sudden, you know, we're not hearing any traction uh, toward a Rendon deal. And from there, you know, we saw that he got not that much, but definitely in the range of what Arenado got. So, you know, it, it's definitely a similar case with Turner. He's, he's going to have some really good shortstops hitting the market just before him. And, and that should suit him nicely if he does reach free agency. Awesome. Final question. Um, who, who are you most uh, looking forward to covering this year? New edition, maybe a, an older, you know, not a veteran, but a player that's been with the team a little bit uh, before. I'll start with Matt and then we'll go to Jesse. Yeah, I'm excited to get to know Kyle Schwarber. You know, the Cubs fans just fell in love with the guy right away. And he, he just seems to have this personality uh, that feels very real. And, you know, he, he seems like a laid back guy. And, and you know, it's hard, hard not to root for somebody who went through such a injury ordeal in his first year and, and was able to make a great story out of it, come back for the World Series, uh, and come through for his team. You know, just those kinds of things. There's a lot of intangibles there that, you know, would love to get into and kind of get to know better. Uh, Jesse? Yeah, uh, I'm interested in continuing to cover Carter Kiboom. I, I think he's been under such scrutiny for the past two years, um, and, and, and at times for good reason, given the results. But I, I think, you know, for me, he's he speaks um, pretty thoughtfully about forgetting his mistakes, but also learning from them. I, I think both those things are really hard to do. Like, for me, like, I remember every mistake I made. I also probably am too stubborn to learn from them, too, like, in a lot of cases. So I think, like, just as, like, a human nature thing, it's like, it's pretty impressive if he can finally put that together and actually, you know, make good on that promise that he is able to sort of put things in the past, but also so use it as a building block. And I find him sort of pretty fascinating, but also like from a team standpoint, like nationals have built a really strong one through four, one through five, and then six, seven, eight can kind of jump off a cliff if, if you don't get better production from Kiboom Gomes and Robles. So I think those three are going to be a really big key for this team where you figure the top of the lineup, um, you factor Sterling Castro, I'd say he's kind of like very much in the middle of the two um, extreme opposite poles. And those bottom three have to really step up because we could see a big production dip and then there'd be too much of a burden on the top guys to carry this team in a way I don't think they can. Well, I think we'll leave it at that as a major teaser for the start of the season. I'm so excited to watch uh, baseball. Like I feel like today's weather here in the DMV definitely got me in the mood. I'm sure weather in a West Palm Beach, Jesse has also got a new. Not bad. Yeah, not bad. What is it? What's like? What's the weather like? Seventy-two and sunny all the time. (laughs) Perfect spring training weather. (laughs) Awesome guys, thank you so much for taking the time with me um, today to talk about Nats. Um, Jesse, where can people follow you on social media? And then Matt, same same with you. Yeah, it's uh, at Doherty underscore Jesse. Um, So it's my last name underscore first name. Awesome. And I'm uh, at by Matt Wyrick on Twitter. Awesome. Great, guys. I'm looking forward to reading all your stuff, and uh, let's go Nats. Thanks so much. Thanks, Richard. And this will do it for this episode of In the Clubhouse. If you like this episode, 
please make sure to like, review, and rate this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. And you can follow us on all the major social media channels at The Nats Report.